Hi, everybody. I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News, and welcome to this bonus episode of Yahoo News' Conspiracy Land, a new podcast series on the murder of Seth Rich brought to you by Skullduggery. I'm here with my colleague and Skullduggery co-host Mike Isikoff, Yahoo News' Chief Investigative Correspondent and the host of Conspiracy Land, and Biana Goladriga, the veteran news broadcaster who's reported for ABC News, is currently a CNN contributor, and is our former colleague at Yahoo. In these special episodes, we will tell the story behind the story of Conspiracy Land, explore the larger themes that this tangled and tragic case raises, and hear from Mike what it was like to report on the Seth Rich murder as he plumbed the depths of the dark netherworld of American political conspiracies. Each bonus podcast will be available with the episode it corresponds to. Today, we're discussing episode six, Collateral Damage. Welcome back, guys, to our final bonus episode of Conspiracy Land. And Mike, in episode six, you explore the kind of political purpose of conspiracy theories, but of course, political purpose that still has devastating human consequences. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we start out with a guy who you kind of wanted to get into in this, Jerome Corsi. I call him the dean of 21st century conspiracy theorists. He's the guy that gave rise to birtherism. He's the guy who pumped it, wrote a book about it, wears the birth certificate. And, you know, we interviewed him for this. And one thing which I don't think was publicly known before is he was in touch with Donald Trump all during this period, 2011. Trump was calling him up for information, Feeding him, ammunition yeah. that he could use to pump the completely baseless conspiracy theory that Barack Obama was born in Kenya and his birth certificate was a fraud and uh, in showing that he was born in Hawaii. I didn't know that Corsi and Trump were in communication at the time. We have that delicious clip from Sam Nunberg, who we interviewed from last Skullduggery, year. Right? From Skullduggery, our regular podcast. Nunberg was uh, an affiliate and crony of Roger Stone, was an advisor to Trump all during that period and talks about how I trafficked in birtherism. I promoted birtherism knowing it was a fraud. And, you know, his very telling response when I said, are you proud of that? His response was, is Donald Trump president? Um, well, you got to say, at least uh, they lay it bare and they, come out right, and say that this is a cynical it, political right. uh, ploy. If you are looking for evidence that conspiracy theories serve a purpose, serve a political purpose, you know, you can't get better evidence than that. But look how high up that went. I mean, you had President Obama actually have to present his birth certificate. Yeah, it was. I mean, Trump was out there going on every TV show, giving, you know, fuel to this whole nonsense of birtherism. And it distracted the White House. Obama has to send his White House counsel, Bob Bauer, out to Hawaii to retrieve the original long form birth certificate. And of course, um, Mike, Back to the Russia and the Seth Rich conspiracy right. theory, uh, one of the things that you do brilliantly is point out the connection between the firing of James Comey, which 
turn the Russia story, you know, into a huge scandal yeah. and the supercharging of these conspiracy theories. Exactly. And that is exhibit B. If exhibit A was birtherism, exhibit B of how conspiracy theories are used, are weaponized for political purposes, there it is. When does the Seth Rich story reach its zenith? Just at the moment that Comey is being fired and Mueller is being appointed to do an investigation into Russian meddling in the election and ties to Donald Trump. So it is no surprise that one Jerome Corsi, a birther extraordinaire, pops up fanning the Seth Rich story as well. And, you know, we use this podcast of uh, Roger Stone on InfoWars talking to Jerome Corsi and their nonsensical theories about uh, Seth Rich being the source of DNC emails to WikiLeaks. And what's so frustrating as a listener is the question of accountability, right? When when people upend lives and families are shattered over what many knew going into it was a fabricated story right. or embellished story because it fit their certain narrative. You talk about in this episode the legal consequences, right? Because there were lawsuits filed on behalf of the Rich family against right. Fox News. Talk about where that led, because they weren't all victories for the Rich family either. No. I mean, uh, these lawsuits are still going on. But just to sort of trace these as they evolve, we've talked about the Rich family. But in this episode, we talk about Aaron Rich, the brother, who becomes the target of these conspiracy theories because Aaron Rich had custody of his late brother's property. He had the laptop. He had custody over his financial affairs. And of course, to the conspiracy theorists, Aaron must be covering something up. Aaron is concealing information. You know, we talked in one of the earlier episodes about how Jack Berkman, this was in episode three, was demanding that the D.C. police turn over to him, a private citizen, the ballistics report and other sensitive evidence from the actual Seth Rich investigation. In this case, when we get to Aaron Rich, Matt Couch a guy who plays a prominent role in this episode, an internet conspiracy entrepreneur in the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas, is demanding that Aaron turn over to him, you know, a internet crankster in Arkansas, the laptop, the financial records to disprove the conspiracy theory. And of course, Aaron Rich is why would he turn over anything to the likes of somebody like Matt Couch? But when he refuses to do so, aha, you see, there's a cover up. There's a cover up. He's covering up and therefore and therefore he's complicit in his brother's murder. He's obstructing the investigation into his brother's murder. And just like his mother, you see the torment and pain that Aaron is going through and enduring, given that his brother is now gone, his best man at his wedding, and he's now having to justify to people who he doesn't know, he doesn't have to justify to, what happened. And he thinks that he can clear it all up just by sending a letter. Right, right. And he writes this letter pleading with Matt Couch to cease and desist, stop tormenting his family, stop besmirching the name of his brother. 
And what does Matt Couch do? He mocks Aaron Rich. He reads the letter in this contemptuous, mocking way and then puts it on Periscope, on Twitter, for all to read, for all to comment on. It's really sickening when you you listen to the way these people like Matt Couch uh, operate. Over and over again, you show the cruelty. I can't, there's no other word for it. The cruelty of these people toward the riches. And coming back to Ed Batowski, mm-hmm. the striking thing is Ed Batowski paints himself as a victim yeah. in the relationship with the riches. Yeah. They're yeah. causing me discomfort. And right. you confronted him on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, what what can you say? But, you know, there is that. I mean, this was actually at the end of episode five where Joel Rich is is saying that uh, Ed Butowski was after all the after all the whole Fox News fiasco and the story retracted and all that, which Ed Butowski had a, played a big role in engineering that completely bogus story that Fox took down, he was still reaching out to the Rich family and um, complaining that he was abused here. And, you know, what I say to Joel Rich, it was so stunning to hear, is you lost a son. Your son was murdered. And Butowski is complaining that he... He's the aggrieved he, He's the party. aggrieved party here. And the manipulation used that you talk about in an earlier episode as to how Butowski was able to come in contact with the rich family, going through Jewish circles yeah. because the rich family was a Jewish and family, a Jewish family in, living, in, living Omaha, in Omaha. So he reaches out. To... There's a mutual friend, right? right. So yeah. that connection is where and lies their first interaction, right. and where Mary says this guy seems credible. He seemed credible to them, and you know what did they know? They're grieving parents who just want to be left alone, and they want their sons killers to be caught. They want somebody to pay for taking the life of their son. And here are all these hucksters coming around, offering to help them do that when they clearly have a political agenda and, in and, mind. And Aaron not only is going through this battle with Couch, but now you have the prosecutor signs now yeah. having to, and she says to you how frustrating and heartbreaking it was for her to now have to bring up these allegations right. with Aaron she, him, she himself. Has to, she has to question Aaron, Aaron Rich in the grand jury. I mean, you know, because she wants it nailed down because, again, I think we t- talked about this in an earlier episode, she has to be prepared to when they finally do, you know, fingers crossed for them, find the people who really did this murder. She has to be able to disprove all these nonsense theories that have cropped up about the case. I should also point out, you know, in terms of the collateral damage, it's not just the Rich family. You have friends of Seth Rich who have been targeted by the, the bar internet owner. bullies. The, the, bar. The, the bar manager who takes his uh, family for a White House tour and is immediately accused of uh, consorting and conspiring about uh, Seth Rich. You have the neighbor who's been targeted by the internet bullies at the move out of his house at one point. I mean, whoever's name... to give up that income from Airbnb because he was worried that... Yeah. 
that, uh, someone... that, that people would be going after anybody in his, or that they would infiltrate. Right. They would get inside his house and get access to documents that yeah. would show something. God knows what, because Mark Mueller, the neighbor, he didn't even really know Seth Rich. He just happened to be the first guy on the scene. He lived across the street from where the murder took place. He heard the gunshots. He rushed out and saw Seth Rich, you know, laying on the on the pavement in the yeah. road. So where does the investigation stand? Now. Well, it has been transferred to a new detective in the major case slash cold case squad. So, you know, you hear that and you think cold case. The uh, riches who have talked to the new detective and there's a new prosecutor say that, no, you know, that it's still an active investigation that um, the prosecutor and the uh, detective talk about it every day. I think they're going back to that those housing projects in the neighborhood where there was drug activity, where they suspected the uh, armed robberies. That was the source of the armed robberies that were going on in the neighborhood in the weeks before his death. So, you know, the riches haven't given up. The cops haven't given up. And Deborah Sines hasn't given up. I mean, she leaves us with a little bit of a hopeful note that uh, at the end of the day, despite this kind of culture of this anti-snitch culture in Washington, D.C., that people will talk. That people will talk, you know, on the one hand, you could say the longer time goes on, the harder it is to solve. On the other hand, she makes the point that the longer time goes on, the looser people get in their own conversations. They got away with it. And somebody out there knows something. And we can only hope that whoever does will report to the police and, you know, this long nightmare for the rich family will be over. I just quickly like to come back to something that Biana raised a minute ago, which is the legal question, which is related to this question of accountability, because you would think that the rich family would be able to bring a successful defamation suit. But the law has not really caught up with this kind of conduct. No, no. And it's very complicated in the case of the rich, of the parents, Joel and Mary, they sued Fox, they sued Butowski, and their lawsuit was initially rejected by a federal judge on the grounds that, in part, that it was their son, their deceased son, who was defamed, not them personally. So, you know, the judge said there's no precedent for them to bring this lawsuit. But clearly, and we have that excerpt from the U.S. Court of Appeals argument, which was really interesting to listen to, where at least one of the circuit appellate court judges was challenging that conclusion and seemed to be open to reversing the uh, district court judge's decision. Of course, you also hear in that excerpt the lawyer for Fox News, a guy named Joe Terry from the law firm of Williams and Connolly, the same law firm that used to represent you and me when we were at (laughs) Newsweek defending Fox News. This was uh, First Amendment protected journalism, and um, you know, news organizations have to to be free to be able to uh, report as best they can, even if they get it wrong. And, and the, the final decision on this case could have major consequences. Yes, especially in this brave new world of social media where we're, we're in today, where all sorts of wild, crazy, and defamatory things get said about people all the time with no accountability. Which raises, I think, the point that 
you know, ultimately, the law is important, but ultimately, it's the it's the culture and it's our politics. Uh, they're going to have to change. Do you have final thoughts about this story and about the riches? You know, uh, look, you can't help but have your heart go out to the riches for what they've been through, from what they've experienced. I mean, it's it's hard. Losing your son is, you know, horrible enough. But then to have it, you know, his name sullied and dragged through the mud and these, you know, crazy conspiracy theories going on and on and on is, you know, is hard to imagine. But also, in addition to the personal story, I think there's an important story for all of us to consider in how we use social media, what we read on social media, and the way it can get manipulated for political purposes. Let's not forget this all began with a Russian disinformation plant. So a foreign intelligence agency trying to stoke divisions within our culture and exacerbate tensions within our society plants this phony conspiracy theory, and then it gets traction because it serves a political purpose of one group of actors. And I think that's something we have to be, that's not going to be unique to this It's case. ongoing. It's yeah. ongoing, and it's something we all have to be mindful of. Well, very well said. And uh, this is a, a truly important piece of journalism. So congratulations to you, Mike, Bianna. Thanks for uh, joining us. And uh, to everyone who's listening, thank you for joining us on these bonus episodes uh, of Conspiracy Land. If you haven't already done it, go to uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and download Conspiracy Land. Tell all your friends about it. Tweet about it. Put it on uh, Facebook. Um, really, really important stuff. If you want to follow uh, Biana uh, Golodriga's uh, great journalism, you can follow her on Twitter at Biana Golodriga. Should we spell that? <laughs> B-I-A-N-N-A-G-O-L-O-D-R-Y-G-A. You've done this before. I think I'm the only one. It, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, follow, uh, follow Skullduggery on at Skullduggery Pod. And uh, thanks for being with us. What is the true source of the Seth Rich conspiracy theory? And who should be held accountable? Join us as we get to the bottom of it at news.yahoo.com slash conspiracyland. And subscribe to Conspiracy Land on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts.